Our good friends at Johnio welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnio clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnio style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnio ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 110 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen leading by example can have an impact much bigger than we could ever imagine and especially when defining work ethic And our guest this episode, Rob Parker, learned early in his life the importance of a strong work ethic. And you can see evidence of that work ethic even today as his career has expanded to being more than just a sports journalist. From his start in 1986 with the New York Daily News, his love for baseball would take him to Cincinnati covering the Cincinnati Reds, where he would eventually then move to Detroit, becoming the first African-American columnist for the Detroit Free Press in 1993. Never wanting to be confined to one avenue, Rob would venture into radio and television, and now you can find him co-hosting with Chris Broussard at Fox Sports Radio on their show, The Odd Couple, as well as being a regular contributor to several shows on FS1 and Fox Sports, like The Herd with Colin Cowherd, Undisputed with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, and somehow he still finds time as an adjunct professor at Southern Cal. And of course found time to sit down with us recently at the Fox Sports Radio studios. Here's episode 110 with Rob Parker. Rob, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. I know you're running 100 miles per hour. So for you to sit down with me to talk about your journey and why sports has meant so much to you, it's an honor. I greatly appreciate it. I appreciate it. No, no doubt about it. And especially here at the Fox Sports Radio studio. I mean, You've been on my list for a long time. So, again. The most wanted list. You were like, I got to get this crazy guy on the show because, you know. That's right. And so, speaking of that, this crazy guy, is that your persona? Or is that you? Is that Rob Parker? Is that the real Rob Parker that we see? Yeah, it is. It's not like an act. You know, some people have routines and they fall into, well, I'll play the bad cop. I'll play the good cop and all that. I always look at myself as a guy who's just looking out for Joe fan. I want to make sure that these teams, these players do right by the fans. So a lot of times I have to ask the hard questions. I have to be the guy, the heavy, because most guys in this business won't do it. And if these players and, and coaches and general managers had it their way, there would never be any pushback. They would just do whatever they want, make their millions of dollars, win, lose, or draw, and go home. Now, have you always been that guy, though, growing up, always the guy that's questioning yes. and looking at, wait a second, I want to understand a little bit better. So you're always asking these hard questions. I'm going to give you 
a perfect example of where that comes from. So I'm in college, Southern Connecticut State University. I'm, I'm writing for the Southern News, the school paper. And our basketball coach, I'll never forget, Art Leary was the basketball coach of the Fighting Owls. And we played, I can't remember the school, but we played a, a way better school than we were, you know, like Division One. we were a Division Two school. And there was no chance we were going to win this game. But still, the coach decided that he was going to play four corners, where basically you would pass oh, the ball around just forever. <laughs> and then, you know, when you had to take a shot at the end, so you would limit the amount of possessions to the other team and you try to win by scoring eight points and they score six or something crazy like that. So most people would just go, okay, you have no chance of winning. They understand the strategy. So I write a column after that game ripping the coach saying, if, you, if you're not good enough to play basketball against another team, you shouldn't schedule them. <laughs> Why even schedule them? So people are there watching this monstrosity of a basketball game that made no sense. Because it's not even basketball it's at that point. It's not basketball, right. Yeah. So how many college kids would do that, you know, write a column like that, ripping the coach? Very, very few. Exactly. So that's where it went. And then I get to journalism school. I went to Columbia Journalism School. And... I was all, I was unique in that when I got there, I was, I think, around 23 years old. I had graduated undergrad. I was already working as a full-time staff writer for the Daily News in New York. So that's, you know, big job. Yes. Here I am going to graduate school. So my professor, uh, she calls me in and she says, Joanna Lee was her name, and she calls me in and she says, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay. She says, you already know how to write a story. You know what, uh, you know, how to do all this stuff. You're working for a major daily already. And a lot of your classmates, they're not on your level. They just aren't. But I need more from you. You're not going to be on their scale where they're still learning and you already know. I want more from you. And because of what I'm about to say, I'm going to describe her. She's a small Asian woman. I'm six foot four. I'm black. <laughs> you know what I mean? The whole nine. So yes. it was a big difference between the two of us. She said, she looked me straight in the face. She said, Robert, I want you to take the knife, stick it in, turn it, and draw blood. That's what I want you to be. That's the kind of reporter I want you to be. That's the information I want you to go get. And, and that set the tone for and you that then. That set the tone right there at grad school. I never forgot that conversation. And I never looked back. I thought it was the greatest advice ever. And I've done that both, you know, in print, carried it on to the radio and television. You're doing it now. I'm doing exactly that. Why go to grad school if you already had a job? Um, yeah, most people ask me that. They said, you don't need to go to grad school. You already, you're working at the biggest paper in the country. Exactly. You're 23 years old. What are you doing? I looked at it as a great opportunity. Here I am. I'm there already. I never was going to rest on my laurels. I wanted to reach my maximum potential. And thank God, here I am, 55 years old. I believe that I've gotten everything out of my career from the time, even though I got my dream job five months into my career. Most people, you see it all the time with child stars that get a show, they flame out. Yes. People flame out very early because they got so much at one time. So I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to make myself better and better and better as much as I could. So when I got that opportunity, it was unbelievable. Uh, the Daily News had a program where they paid for half of your tuition. Another, you know, godsend. So I was like, okay, I can't pass this up. Our editor was a guy named Jim Wilsey, 
who was the managing editor of the paper, and he had graduated from Columbia. So he was like, this is great when I got accepted. And so he was like, I was covering the Nets. Here I am, 23-year-old kid, <laughs> covering a professional basketball team. And I'm going to Columbia. The Nets were really, really bad. They used to win 15, 16 games a year. So I, I got into his office, and he goes, big beard, gruff. He goes, this year, Columbia is number one for you, and the Nets are number two. You're going to cover and travel and do some stuff. But Columbia is number one. That's what was number one in your book this year. And so it gave me a great opportunity to get that degree. And then I even applied for and started my Ph.D. at NYU. That's something I never got to finish, but that was another goal at that time. Are you going to try to go back and finish? I don't know, because I'm teaching now at USC, <laughs> <I know. laughs> and I'm so busy. I, a Ph.D. is a lot of work, and I just I would love to, and maybe it's something I start when I, when I uh, retire. So where did that come from in terms of that self-awareness that you were not going to rest on your laurels, that you were going to continue to improve, even though you had that dream job my, early my on? My family. I mean, my mom and dad. My mom and dad, they divorced about 12. And I saw my mom just put in so much energy. She was uh, the rock of our family. And what I remember was how hard she worked. Uh, you know, being a divorced mother, three kids, you know, we never had a disappointing Christmas. She just was one of those people who knew how to budget, work hard, do whatever she needed to do. And I still remember she bought our house on her own. And back then, you know, a single black woman, no husband, didn't buy a house. And when, when she did that, that gave me vision about what hard work does. And how you can, you know, make things happen when you work for it. And after that, I never look back. So work ethic comes from watching your mom. Absolutely. Not work, just hearing her. No, you watched work, her. Watched, I watched her work hard. Two jobs. She went to school part time. She was incredible. We always had dinner on the table. Our house was always clean. Do you know what I mean? I it was, do. All of that. She did she did it all. Well, no wonder you're always running around with doing I don't feel 25 right. different things. <laughs> I don't really feel right if I just have one job. I, I really, really don't. And so I guess my other question then is, when did sports become such a passion of yours? Uh, that's another question. My mom always tells me the story of my grandfather saying, what is that boy? I'm the little kid. What is that boy talking about? I don't even know what he... And my mom says, oh, that's the sports stats and all that. He loves sports and he's into it. So it was early on that I love sports. My dream was to be, I'm a baseball player. I know I'm 6'4". Everybody thought I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. <laughs> I wanted to be a baseball player. I wanted to play first base for the New York Mets. That was my dream. That was your team? That was my team growing up. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. But the whole thing was my backup plan. What's your backup plan? And my backup plan was... I wanted to be a sports writer. There used to be a TV show on called The Odd Couple. Jack Klugman and Tony Randall, for people who don't know, Google it. It was about two divorced guys. One was a sports writer, Oscar Madison, he was sloppy, and Felix Unger, who was a photographer, who was clean. And they lived in the same apartment, and it was just a great show. And I thought, watching that show, I said, I want to be a sports writer. Look at this guy. He's got the greatest <laughs> job in the world. He's eating hot dogs for free. He's going to the ball game every night. I mean, who didn't want to do that? It's so a perfect my, job. A perfect job. So that was really from that. Nobody in my family had ever been 
you know, worked for a newspaper, been on television, none of that. So my friends, when I was the a kid. The inspiration came from the odd couple. From the odd couple. <laughs> if, if I could have told Jack Klugman that myself, I would have. So that was really it. And when I was a kid, I used to, I had my typewriter. I used to type up, watch games, type up stories, go to the drugstore. This is all foreign because you know these young kids, they don't understand it. <laughs> they don't understand. That's go right. to the drugstore and then make uh, copies with my money and then pass them out to the family like it was my newspaper of the stories that I wrote. Do you still have any of those copies? No, I wish I would. What I happened to them? Those are, I, I save almost everything. Those I did not save. Those and would be golden right would, now. They would be golden. And the other part that is happened in high school, when you talk about my love for uh, sports and everything. So I wanted to be, uh, like I said, a sports writer. So I'm writing for the high school paper. It's called The Beeline. I went to Martin Van Buren High School in Queens Village, New York. So the newspaper took so long to process. It's not the internet. Like now everything's instant and social media. It used to have to go to the printer, you know, write your story, it'd be typeset, go to the printer, come back a month later. You know what I mean? It was a process. <laughs> so I was frustrated because I would write a story about the basketball team, and by the time the paper came out, it was baseball season. It was old. <laughs> it's old news, old right? News. So I was like, this stinks. So I said, came up with an idea to start an all-sports newspaper that came out monthly on time. So I went to the principal and uh, presented the idea to him. And he told me, nope, we're not doing it. A, we don't have money to print it. And B, the kids are only going to throw it on the floor. I mean, it wasn't real encouragement from the principal. Of course of not. His name was Murray Ostra, and I'll never forget <laughs> him just saying no. And I was like a kid who was not going to, like, give in. So I said to him, well, what if I raise the money to print it myself? Can we do it then? And he said, yeah, if you got the money to print it or whatever, then fine. So I went home. Sat at the kitchen table with my typewriter, and I wrote three letters. I wrote a letter to the Daily News, which was my favorite paper growing up in New York, to the New York Times, and to the New York Post. The Daily News didn't write me back. I never got a letter back. New York Times wrote me a letter, and the letter said something like, Dear Robert, you know, like, uh, thanks for writing, but it's against our company policy to help other people start newspapers. <laughs> As like a 16-year-old was going to be competition for the New York Times. Right. There were words. I was just like, Bob Parker. Right. And I thought to myself, somebody actually sat down and wrote this letter back to me. I'm in high school. I'm 16. So finally, the third letter, uh, the, the third paper, the New York Post, I get a letter. I'm like, okay. Now, when I addressed those letters, I addressed them all to the publishers of the papers at that time. And back then, Rupert Murdoch was the publisher of the New York Post. He still is. But there was no Fox. There was nothing. He was a newspaper publisher. He had like the Boston Herald, the New York Post, the San Antonio Express. Those were like some of his papers that he had. So I wrote the letter and um, addressed it to him. I opened up the envelope. There's a letter that said good luck and a check for $50 to start the paper. Wow. I was, I was You had to be thrilled. high on life. I was high on life that I had this idea I sent out letter, just a letter, a cold letter, trying to get phones to start the paper. And whoever, whether it was Rupert Murdoch or somebody in his office, but it was addressed to him. And it came back and I started that newspaper. It was called Sports Line. And then I wound up, of course, working first at the Fox News Channel uh, years ago, back in the late 90s. And now here I am in L.A. 
working for Rupert Murdoch and FS1 and Fox Sports. And I told Rupert Murdoch about a few months back, he was at the studio after the show. And I said, I have to share this story with you. And he was like, that's incredible. He goes, really, did that happen? I said, absolutely. And uh, to this day, that's why I tell kids, you got to dream, you got to strive to put stuff out there in the atmosphere and don't be afraid. The reason most people don't succeed in life is because they're afraid to fail. It's fear. It's fear. But that shouldn't hold you back. Should not hold you back. Somebody easily could have said, what are you doing? You shouldn't. What are you, they're not going to write you back. Nobody's going to send you money. Well, and, you had the pr- and you had the principal telling you Tell me, it's no. a bad idea. Ab- We're not going to do it. It's right. a waste of time. So, did that motivate you? Absolutely. People telling you that you couldn't do something? Yes. Because there were people, you know, even in my family and not not immediate family, but people, this guy wants to be a sports Nobody black was a sports <laughs> writer back then. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, seriously. So it wasn't like you had... You know, people have some people in their family and you can see your uncle or, you know, your dad and you go, wow, I could do that. You know, my dad's doing that. It wasn't like that. So um, I always this was like my passion is something that I really wanted to do. And I was com- I was convinced I was going to get there. I didn't know I was going to get there at 22 years old, five months out of college that I would be working at the Daily News. When I arrived there in nineteen, How did you get that job? I, I went to a job fair like everybody else. And I was very creative. I had I had put together a resume, and my resume was unique from the standpoint it was. On the front page was like a newspaper, and it was called the Rob Parker Recorder. I had written three stories about me, one about my what I had done journalistically, uh, one about um, how I cared about society and my my um, volunteer work and other stuff to, about me, and then the other one was how I had worked at this shoe store for like seven years to show that I could stick with stuff. I moved up along from a stock boy to a salesman. So, and then on the back was my resume. And this was what I presented. And it was the buzz of the, of the, of the um, conference, you know, job conference. And so the guy from the Daily News uh, who was recruiting looked at it and said, I'm going to tell you, you took a big chance because had you written this and it not been written well, you would have a lot of people off, right, of like, this guy can't write. What is this? And he said it was so well done and so unique and so creative. He said, wow, this is people that we're looking for. I never believed, and I remember this was in Philadelphia, never believed he would be calling me five months later or six months later. And they called from the Daily News. And the one thing I did put on my resume was, my 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 family's home and number there because if you put your college dorm room and you, that would I would have never gotten <laughs> that's a call. Right. You know what I mean? So I was like, it's got to be forward so that they could always reach me. And I remember the day my mom called me. She said the Daily News called you, and they want you to call them back. And I was like, about what? I was just like, <laughs> and before you know it, I had gone to the interview and and they said we we want you. And I was 22 years old. And it was the big, when I walked into that building, it was unbelievable. People thought like I was an intern or um, what do you call apprentice. And they were like, no. And he's Jim, a full-time employee. Full-time employee. They could, people couldn't believe it. Like that I was a staff writer at 22 at this paper. And they, um, they were like, who do you know here? Or who you have 
Yeah, well, that's yeah, right. That's what they asked me. And I was like, I don't know anybody here. What? Then they, they hired me to be a high school sports writer. But I got hired in June. I started June 2nd, 1986. So there are no high schools over. So they said, okay, you're going to be a general assignment reporter for the summer. They're sending me to Jets and Giants camps, Mets and Yankee games, press conferences in, in the city, whatever's going on, all this stuff. So I'm writing, I'm doing all this stuff, covering football games, doing all this stuff. So then the boss comes to me. So when they hired me, they said, you have six months to prove yourself. Six months, if you make it, you're good to go and, and you'll stay on. If you don't, we're going to let you go. That, that's just the policy, six months. And he said to me, but I don't want you to feel any pressure. I know you can do this job. I want you to just go have fun like you've been doing. That's what, just do what you've been doing and you'll be fine. So um, six months came and my boss, the late Vic Ziegel, who was a longtime sports writer, great guy, he comes over to my desk and he sits on it and he looks at me and he says, you made it. And he said, you did great. He said, we, we love what you've done. And, uh, and blah, 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 blah. And then um, a little bit, before, even before that, I should say, when it was time for high schools, first they told me, um, you're not going to high schools. We love what you're doing. You're going to be our general assignment. We love that you can cover everything and do everything. So I didn't do uh, high schools, never did it in daily. It's probably one of the few reporters, especially young guys who never did high schools. And then number two, I was hired full time six months in. Did some of the veterans at the paper look down upon you, though? You know what? No, I think they were skeptical in the beginning, like, uh, rightly so. Yeah, because you're all of them inexperienced. Took, yeah, and it young. all took a long time for them to get there. So, yes. But uh, once I got there and I started working, they saw I was a hustler and I could get. There's a famous picture of me uh, tracking down uh, George Steinbrenner on the stairs of City Hall, and it's just me and him, and I'm trying to interview George Steinbrenner as we walk. <laughs> And I'm young, you know what I mean? And then they saw me, I think, when they saw me work full-time and go to grad school full-time. You know, the appreciation, this guy's a hustler. So I never got, like, that kind of pushback where they're like, this dude doesn't belong here. Uh, they were skeptical, and then I proved that I, 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 I belong. How nervous were you when you had to go try to get interviews, like with you know, George just, Steinbrenner? Yeah, it, it was, some, in the beginning, yeah, in the beginning and a little bit. You know, these are all people I had watched on TV and seen, so it was a little different. But once I really got in there and got, you know, got working, I just jumped in, covered my first World Series in 1986, all of these different things. I covered the Giants all the way. I didn't get to cover the Super Bowl, but I got to cover all the way up until and the Giants won the Super Bowl in January of 87. But I was around, you know, all of this stuff. The Giants were great. The, G the Mets were great. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff was going on in New York, and I was in the middle of it. And I just, I ate it up. I love my, I wound up working there five years. Loved every minute of the Daily News because that was the paper I grew up reading. So why leave? You know what? I, I love baseball more than anything. And we had two baseball writers there already. Bob Clappish covered the Mets and Michael Kay, who was the Yankee announcer now, covered uh, the Yankees. They weren't that much older than me, you know, five or six years older than me. And I was like, I can't wait. I want to cover baseball. <laughs> I was covering the NBA. All my friends were like, you're crazy. How would you give up? The NBA, because I, I covered the Nets first, and then I had the Knicks beat. So they were like, how could you leave? Exactly. And I went to Cincinnati, so I went to a way smaller paper and city, but my dream was to be a baseball writer. 
and I wanted to vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I wanted to do all that, travel the country and cover baseball. So I looked at it and I said, I, this is where I want to go. It's great to be in New York. It's great to cover the NBA, but I want to be a baseball writer. And I, I took the job. People were shocked when I left. But it was the greatest job I ever had. That was a great time. Lou Pinella was the manager. There was Rob Dibble, Eric Davis, Crazy Mart Shot was the owner. Oh, Cincinnati was good. Cincinnati's a great baseball town. It was, they had just won the World Series the year before. The newspaper had never had a black writer cover the team every day. I was the first guy to ever do that. And remember, the Cincinnati Reds are the first professional team. So I looked at it as an honor to be able to get that uh, opportunity. Now, what do you enjoy more, writing or radio or TV? Yeah, I, I'm a, when people ask me what I do, I say I'm a sports writer, to be honest. Even though I've been on TV for over 20 years and even though I've had that's still a long run. It might, most close to your heart. Yeah, because that's really what I started out to be, what I always wanted to be. And to this day, I still write a column. I write a weekly column at theshadowleague.com out of New York. So I always consider myself a writer or now I consider like maybe an analyst because I'm always analyzing on TV, radio. And uh, but I'm still a writer at heart. And what advice are you giving upcoming students that you're teaching right now? You got to have a passion for it and you can't be uh, afraid to uh, tell the truth and be honest. You're working for the fans, not for the team, not for the players. You know, it's not about ripping people just to rip them. It's not about calling people names and all that. It's just about being honest and being, you know, trying to be as accurate as possible. And I think people are still looking for that. That's why team websites don't do that well. That's They know that's the company man and they're not going to be negative. People want you to be honest with them, even if it's my team and it hurts me that they're not as good as I think they are, I think that's what people want. So there's always a good place for good reporters, people who, who are honest in their analysis, people who work at it. That's what I tell people. There's always room for you. And does it matter to you if your opinion is sometimes wrong? No, because nobody's right. Nobody expects you to be <laughs> right all the time. But when you're right, when you go on a limb and say the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs with LeBron James, I think people remember that. You know, and, and they yeah. were calling you out about it. Exactly. At the time. <laughs> well, you're crazy. You know, they thought I was nuts. Or if I say the, the Patriots aren't going to win and Brady wins his sixth round. OK, I got to eat crow for a little while, but I still got to go with it. You know what I mean? And, and give my reasons why people could accept that you have a different point of view, especially if you just make sure you're honest in the, in, in the way that you present it. It's not like I think the Patriots are going to lose because I don't like the Patriots. That's not a real reason. But if you break down the, the reasons why, I think that's when people can go. I don't agree with him, but I understand how he got here. Now, did your love of shoes begin from your days working at a shoe store? No, crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it did. And there were a lot of sneakers there, all the big brands and all that. And I used to love it and save my money to be able to buy. You know, I didn't want to get crazy where my whole paycheck was going. Uh, when I started at the shoe store, I know. I was making two seventy five an hour. That's what it paid. Two, wow. as, as a stock boy. Can you believe that? <laughs> Some paydays I would come home with $20. That was for working 10 hours. But you got promoted. Yes. And I made it to a shoe salesman where you make commission and stuff. But I love the Jordans. You know, I've always got them on my Instagram. 
I just got a new pair yesterday. I love those. Aren't they sweet? I'm a big Jordan fan yes, as well. And it's amazing the shoe industry itself these days. I mean, I, I would have never guessed growing up when I got my first pair of Jordans in the late 80s that the industry would be at the level that it is no, now. No, it's incredible. It's I, crazy. I agree with you. And people are waiting for the exclusives and you know, they resale shops and people are just in it and they save the box. I know people have storage spaces with all the sneakers that they bought over. It's an incredible phenomenon. So why do you think people love sports so much and especially even like sports radio of how it has skyrocketed over the past 15 to 20 years? I think it's well? a com- yeah, combination of, you know, it's escapism. You know, life is hard. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's a way to kind of get away from that, the real life, for a little bit. And then people have passion. The thing about sports in this country, which is kind of different from others, I think, is most places is a national sports feeling about their country or whatever. We're so individual, you know, states and teams and favorites. And, you know, you see people when the Cubs won the World Series, people in Chicago cried like babies. You know, like, oh, I can die now. You know, it's like to see your team win <laughs> once is kind of like, you know, your, your your dream. And now I don't root for teams now as a journalist for the last 33 years. But what I will say, I was very fortunate. The Mets won my first year when I made that transition. And that was my biggest. I liked the Mets and the Jets and the Islanders and the Knicks as growing up in New York because those were my teams. And remember, you can't like both teams in the city. One. So those were my teams. And for the Mets to win my first year and for me to be able to shake the whole fan thing after that was the greatest thing for my career. I never after that felt like, oh, if the Knicks lose, I'm, I'm upset. Or So I wound up being that guy. So I've always rooted for the best story. What's going to be the best for me? If this team loses, I can write this great column ripping them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the story I want. Yeah. But do you miss being a fan, though? No, nah, I don't. When I go to games, I love to go to games. So a lot of times I'll go with friends and we're sitting in the bleachers and somebody hits a home run and the whole row jumps up to celebrate. I'm still sitting in my seat. (laughs) People try to high five me and I'm always like, feel awkward. I don't want to do it. Sometimes I feel compelled because the guy's so enthusiastic. But I'll be sitting there. I will not do it. I'm so used to. Yeah, you've been conditioned Conditioned for all these years in the press box not to be that guy. And no, I really don't. And I feel when I retire and I want to, like, uh, go get a Mets cap and go to the ball game with my friends that I grew up with or, you know what I mean, and then go back when I retire and I'm done in the media, then I'll go and I'll sit in the ball in the stadium with a cap on, eat a hot dog, and just enjoy it again. Yes. And as we wrap up, what about words of wisdom? Any phrases, quotes, mottos, or just life advice that has meant a lot to you that you'd like to share? Yeah, my, my biggest one was the one I said earlier, which is, you know, most people, uh, the reason most people don't succeed in life is because they're afraid to fail. And that's really the, the big thing. Don't be afraid. Everybody who's made it has bumped their head, been fired, things didn't work out. You know what I mean? Like, so, yes. so you have to really be honest with yourself. It's not going to happen overnight. Everybody you see, like I get a lot, you know, young guys, they want to be, I want to be a debater on, on TV. And I said, well, look at the guys who are debating. 
either their former athletes who at a high level, right? Or Skip Bayless, who was a columnist at the Chicago Tribune and the San Jose Mercury News and the Dallas Morning News and the Dallas Times. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Or Stephen A. Smith, who was a reporter for the Daily News in New York, or uh, the Philadelphia columnist, Philadelphia Inquirer, and you know what I mean? Or, or yours truly. Yes, who, I was about to say, you're a 30-year overnight right? success. Exactly, that's exactly. <laughs> so they see that and they think everybody, oh, I just want to be a debater. I want to be an NBA analyst. No, it doesn't work like that. That's right. Why should we listen to your opinion? Because you put in the time. You put in the effort. I always tell young guys, you know that crazy shot Michael Jordan made over Craig Elo to win uh, the, the playoff series? I covered it. I was sitting near courtside. That's the kind of experience you want to – that's why you want to listen to me talk about basketball, even though I didn't play in the league. But you were there. I was Experienced there. it. Nothing Rob, like it. thank you for allowing me to experience just a little bit of your journey, and I greatly appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thanks so much, Richmond. Many of us can say that we have a strong work ethic, but it's when you combine the drive to succeed through different type of motivating factors, such as wanting to prove people wrong, as Rob had mentioned, then you will truly see a powerful combination which can only enhance your chances of reaching goals and dreams that you have in life, regardless if others can't see your same vision. Now that finishes episode 110 and more of our content can be found by visiting our Rich Take on Sports Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.